What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the ground at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. What's up and welcome in Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights at 7 here on ESPN 1000. Hope that you had a great Tuesday. Hope that you have a great Tuesday night as I keep you company until 10 o'clock right here on Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. It's going to be an interesting show tonight. We've got a number of terrific guests that we'll tell you about as we move forward throughout our broadcast. But, you know, there is a difference between role models and sports heroes, There's a difference between the two when you think of role models and sports heroes. You know, I remember as a kid growing up on the south side of Chicago, 20 minutes away from old Comiskey Park, where guaranteed rate is right now. And I remember having posters of White Sox players like Harold Baines and Rudy Law and Lamar Hoyt on my wall because I loved that 83 championship team that's right in the wheelhouse of my childhood. Bears players like Walter Payton, of course, because Walter was just before we knew who Michael Jordan was. Walter Payton was just it. I mean, he was just the man, not just in Chicago, but across the country because of how special he was as a football player, as a running back when running backs were cool in the NFL or pro wrestlers from some organization on my wall, because those are just some people that I admired. I enjoyed watching and reading about on a regular basis as a kid. I watched on TV and went to stadiums and arenas to see those that were not necessarily role models, but sports heroes. You think about it this way when you're a kid, right? It's one thing for you to have a guardian or grandparents or parents or aunts or uncles, cousins, family, right? That you might look up to as a kid. But it's another thing when you see someone that is a celebrity, someone that just oozes pop and circumstance on your TV, right? When you're a kid, they're not in your house, you know, they're not at the family reunion and not at the, uh, the barbecue, but you do see them on TV and you do read about them in periodicals, magazines, and online. And you say, wow, those, those players are special. She, he, those players are special. But they were sports heroes. They weren't necessarily role models. I didn't know how to explain exactly what I was watching as a kid. But as an adult, you come to realize there is a distinct difference between role models and sports heroes. Sports idols that we rooted for, some, sometimes the, the lines were blurred of what entertainers that perform in sports and what they do in the arena were. It's really hard to de- determine when you're a kid, like... You know, is this my idol? Is this someone I just root for for sports? You're a kid, right? The lines were blurred when we were kids. Athletes in any era were not meant to be role models. They're just like you and I, except their passion to be a one percenter was to make money as an athlete. One percenters, those one percent of people that can do things the rest of us can't do or not paid handsomely to do. So we talk about this with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Michael Jordan is currently a businessman and a very successful businessman because of the money that he makes, because 
of how we as an as adults, we as kids are able to just reach out and touch that brand, that Jordan brand. He has got his name or his likeness on so many different brands now, even though he hasn't played in years. That's why I think that is is so interesting, this whole Last Dance documentary, because even today in 2020, as you and I have this conversation, Michael Jordan, the businessman, still is relevant today. He also is the greatest competitor in basketball I've ever seen. His story has been well documented in that Last Dance doc that we've been watching. We realize that he's had humble beginnings. He was told that he wasn't good enough in high school to make varsity, ends up making varsity, becomes a legendary college and pro basketball player, becomes an Olympic gold medalist, a global branding icon, and the first black majority owner of a franchise in sports. The story I just told isn't enough for people, though. You would think, hey, this guy is known all over the world, not just the United States, but all over the world, because he was great at basketball, and plus he was just someone that people wanted to be, wanted to be like Mike. That's why that commercial still rings true today. We saw in the documentary, Be Like Mike, right? Because it was the work ethic. It was the way he played basketball, the stories that we read. But the story I just told is not enough for some people. So the doc goes deeper into Michael Jordan's gambling and his belief and his confidence and his narcissism in an attempt to win at everything. Now, I think all of us, at least people that are in my circle, for the most part, people want to be able to win. They just don't take day by day, just believing that, well, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. I think that people want to be able to win today. I never wake up myself believing that I'm going to lose today. Somehow, some way, something I'm going to do, I'm going to try to win at. And Michael Jordan took it to like this nth degree, this way over the top degree of trying to win, win at everything, right? As we saw his own security detail. And it was just pitching, not pennies, but pitching nickels and, and quarters against the wall at the United Center before he's supposed to be on stage playing basketball. He's just relaxing, you know, pitching coins against the wall, trying to beat his own security detail. You know, these late night games of, of playing cards. Kendall Gill just told a story with Jason Goff just recently on NBC Sports Chicago about, you know, Kendall Gill taking Michael Jordan's money. And Jordan just couldn't. He just couldn't stand that. There's no way that he was going to leave Kendall's house without getting some of his money back. Uh, Michael got his money back as they played until 6, 7, 8 in the morning. Kendall Gill uh, remarked that, man, <laughs> it's one thing to like admire Michael Jordan coming to your house, but I really want him out of there. <laughs> I really wanted him to go because he was just, you know, he just was relentless. That's who he was. That's who he is today. The question is, does his gambling or his extracurricular activities make you look at Michael Jordan differently? We talked about what we've seen in the documentary about his gambling, his, his belief, his confidence that he can win everything. Does his gambling or his extracurricular activities make you look at Michael Jordan differently? Because it doesn't for me. See, I knew the stories reading books, magazines, coverage of Michael Jordan, because, you know, I, I can't look at anyone and say that guy is my role model or that woman is my role model um, in sports. <laughs> I can't necessarily do that. I could say that I admire that player, but role model 
it was a different dynamic when we were younger versus uh, you and I as adults. Now, um, think about all of your favorite ball players that you've watched. Either there is a story that you heard from someone or something that you read that you weren't expecting. And when we, we hear the phrase all the time in sports about how people love to be able to raise an athlete, uh, up, an exalted athlete only to tear that athlete down when they hear just an inkling of something, a little something that they heard, something that they heard and they say, oh, you know, that athlete is not perfect or she's not perfect or he's not perfect. So now I'm going to cross him off the list then and I'll move on to the next person so I can be able to exalt and wear his jersey and because he's perfect or she's perfect. We are not perfect. I am not perfect. And neither is your favorite superstar ball player. Michael Jordan drinks and he smokes cigars and has generational wealth and brought a lot of joy to people because he was great as an ambassador and player in the game of basketball. The phrase he's, he brought into the NBA the, using the phrase, the game of basketball. And I haven't reported a time while doing this show in which I came on the air and told you, ladies and gentlemen, we have a story that's just come across. Michael Jordan has been arrested. Or, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Under the Hood. I have a special news story for you that just came across our wires. Michael Jordan involved in a double murder homicide. Haven't uh, told you that because that's never happened. Because Michael Jordan is hes a gambler. I would say was, but I would imagine he still likes to be able to bring the fellows over and gamble, a high-stakes gambler. And you know what? It's his money. I do realize it's 2020 when you've got to be able to just, you know, throw stones at people and just get on social media and say, yeah, say what you got to say because it's so pithy and it's got to be out there for everyone to see so it can trend. Because you know how we are now in 2020. I mean, we are here for the likes now in 2020. We were here for the hearts. We're here for the adulation of others that can see our pithy comments or ignorant comments or our comments to try to tear down a great basketball player. But now the documentary for some has opened up the door ajar just a little bit for you to see that Michael Jordan loved to gamble. I knew this when I was was following the Bulls in the 90s. It was written about high-stakes gambler. But here's the thing. I'm not going to judge him for him wanting to spend his own money. Is it gross to spend an exorbitant amount of money or on golf or tonk? That's his business. <laughs> like, like, Is it gross for him to be able to be a billionaire and say, you know what? I'm going to put a lot of money on the line here so I can take your money. He's a high-stakes gambler. I told the story yesterday that on a way, way, way smaller level, my grandparents and cousins love to go to the local Bubbles Liquor and Tap on the corner, go to the White Hand or go to the Stony Island Food Mart or whatever to be able to go right to the window and be able to get a stack of lottery tickets, believing that the rainbow of cash was coming back in the eighties. This is something they did on a regular basis. Why? Because it was just, they love to gamble. I didn't judge them. They just did what they wanted to do with the money that they had, because they thought if I go to the boat on Saturday night, go to the casino, maybe I can get lucky. Well, I mean, those things happen, right? And so the same thing with Michael Jordan, except he's got a whole lot more money than you and I. 
and he wants to gamble on golf and he wants to be competitive, that's his life. That does not necessarily make me think anything lesser of Jordan. It doesn't matter that I'm from Chicago and a Bulls fan. I could be doing this show uh, in Boise, Idaho, and be a Portland Trailblazers fan and say the same thing. It doesn't really matter. The point is, is that it's his money. And so this goes back full circle to what I was saying at the top about role models, right? I have taken calls in the past in my career. I would say, if I can just remember, I want to say as, as late as maybe two or three years ago, I remember us doing a topic about role models. And there was some story about some athlete that did something for the first time. And there was a caller that called in on under the hood and they said, well, hood, what, what do I tell my kids now about this story? It might've been, it might've been the story of a ball player, um, scolding his child or something like that. Something, something recent like that. It might've been, but something like that. But someone called and said, you know, what do I tell my, my kid? He's a big fan of this particular athlete. What do I do? What do I say to my child? What do I tell my kids? Because the posters are all over the wall. You tell them what you have to tell them as a parent. Your kid should not look at you any lesser because you don't play football, because you don't have cleats. Role models are, are, should not be athletes because the athletes are like you and I. Sports icons, there's a way to, to be able to look at it and to be able to say, hey, that's my sports hero. That's when I really, but the idea that they're a role model, well, keep in mind, just like everyday life, there's someone who's going to disappoint you. Every day, there's going to be someone on my Twitter that will say, hey, you know, I hate your show because of my sports commentary, because my opinion of the Bulls, my opinion of the Bears, that's just everyday life. There's someone that's not going to like you because of whatever. But the, but the point is, for me, is that when it comes to role models, I, I don't think that you can find them on your television and say, well, that person is squeaky clean. That's my role model. Because if something happens, either you're going to be looked at you know, kind of with a side eye, like that person committed this particular incident, like you know something in which that person went to jail and you're still supporting him. And they're going to be like, oh, why, why would you support him? And now, so you're going down that rabbit hole of, oh, you know, I, I support this athlete, even though this person killed whomever, or this person ran over whomever. I just think it's a slippery slope when you do that. I just take a look at sports heroes for what they are, is that you admire what they do on the, on the surface, what they do on the sports surface, and then you just let it go. <laughs> but. I find the Jordan conversation interesting as of late now, even Jordan himself saying, well, people are going to look at me differently now because for those that didn't know I gambled, those that didn't know that I could be an a-hole to my teammates, they're going to look at me differently. And my thought is, who cares? <laughs> you were great at what you did. And so I don't think anything differently of him. Do you? 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone number. Coming up next, we delve into the Atlantic City story and gambling that was on the last dance. If you missed it, I want you to hear in, pers in kind of in perspective uh, what was said about Jordan because it was you could see the dividing line in the documentary. Jordan's career in college, early days in the pros, everything's going well, five championships, and then right here with the Atlantic City Star, all of a sudden things started changing as far as the, as the perception of the Bulls and Jordan. We'll get into that next on UTH. 
This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. Interesting documentary, The Last Dance. It just takes me back to a fun time um, watching what a championship run looks like, a dynasty, right? I mean, it's one thing to look at the San Antonio Spurs or the uh, watching the Golden State Warriors as of late, but th- that was just amazing to watch the run and just the journey. I, I, I'm going to keep hammering that point home that the journey is so interesting to me with Jordan because – it, it just shows you once again that it is not easy to win a championship. For those that just love to be able to get um, opposite a little table and just pound their fist and yell and scream every day about how James Harden or Russell Westbrook or certain uh, players in the league are losers or they'll never win a championship, it, it's not easy to do that. You might be very talented, but it takes a lot to be able to win a championship, especially six of them. That's what makes this documentary very interesting. We've been talking about uh, as far as sports heroes and role models. And and I don't know about you, but for me, there is a distinct difference between the two. And it's one thing that when we're kids and we've got the posters up and we're really into athletes during that time. But. I think it's another to look at an athlete as um, as an adult and say, well, he's my role model, only to be able to tear that role model of yours down because they're, I don't know, human. <laughs> that's the thing that's just is striking to me. That does My feeling on it doesn't make it uh, right. I just think it's necessary for me to be able to look at the athletes I cover or the athletes that I meet on a regular basis and realize that they're, they're just like you and I. They are just the one percenters. They, they they can do a lot more on a sports surface than you and I can, and they get paid handsomely for it. And so that's, to, to me, when I hear about Jordan and even Jordan's perception of like, oh, what will people think? And, and of course, on social media, because this is where it is in 2020, you've got to give your, your immediate thoughts because the world wants to know them. Um, the whole thing of, man, you know, Jordan, look at him. I mean, he's there and he's... You know, look how he was at treating his teammates and look how he was um, gambling and smoking. And like, that's his life. Then the fact my life is he winning championships for my team. Thumbs up or thumbs down. Can he help my favorite teams win? <laughs> that's what I look at. If, if the person is a great person along with that, that that's gravy. Uh, that's love. But but not to the point where I'm going to run away from an athlete because I thought he was my role model and he was my favorite. He still be your favorite. He, on the floor doesn't necessarily be your favorite away from the floor as we talk about this here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So some thoughts now uh, regarding this section of the documentary, which I thought was fascinating because you could see the dividing line, right? You could see it coming when they start talking about um, Atlantic City and uh, Michael Jordan. Let's go back in time where Jordan was losing to the Knicks and he just wanted to get away, went with his dad to Atlantic City interesting part of the last dance documentary brought to you by Coors Light. In sports the Chicago Bulls are down two games to none in their playoff series with the New York Knicks. Some are suggesting that superstar Michael Jordan may have dropped the ball. In the last quarter against the New York Knicks Tuesday night Michael Jordan looked tired. Was he worn down by the Knicks defense in a grueling physical game or was he worn down by a visit to this Atlantic City hotel 
on the eve of the game. The New York Times said today Jordan was seen in the hotel's casino as late as 2.30 in the morning. My father said, let's get away from New York City. Let's you and I go to Atlantic City. We got in a limo. We went and gambled for a couple hours. We came back. Everybody went totally ballistic. Hey, he was in the casino last night. I wasn't late. Got home by 12.30, 1 o'clock. The reason that I was there is more or less to get away from the city of New York, hear about all the uh, losing, the, you know, the game situation, whatever, just to get my mind away from the game of basketball. I couldn't go play golf. So I rode up there with my family and my friends. Jordan's hours triggered harsh headlines and dominated the sports talk shows. What it shows me is a lack of commitment to what is the goal right now, and that is to win a third championship. Jordan had violated no team rules, no league rules, no state laws. All he violated were people's expectations. I addressed the Atlantic City thing, and he was like, going down Atlantic City in the afternoon and getting back at midnight, it's not going to affect my basketball. It's going to take my mind away from this pressure that we have building up in the playoffs. Why was the trip to Atlantic City such a big deal? Okay, the backstory is this. So the Bulls win in 91. They win the championship. Well, you go to the White House and you win the championship. Except Jordan didn't show. He said, oh, time of family, you got to be... No, he was out gambling with Slim Buller. Slim Buller was a golf hustler. And back in December of 1991, he was brought up on drug and money laundering charges. And federal agents found a check made out from Michael Jordan to Slim Buller for $57,000. Jordan initially said, ah, I was just a loan that I made him. But Michael was a witness in this case involving Slim Buller and Michael admitted that he was repaying a gambling debt. What was the money for, asked Bowler's attorney. Answer, it was what I lost gambling. It was never a loan. I said it was a loan strictly to save the embarrassment and pain. So when Michael spends all night gambling in Atlantic City, after they lost game one, it became a very public issue in terms of, is this signs of some kind of a problem with him? And then you add to that the Eskinas book, which came out in the midst of that Atlantic City fiasco. In a book titled, Michael and Me, Our Gambling Addiction, Richard Eskinas, a one-time general manager of the San Diego Sports Arena, makes the claim that Michael Jordan owed him more than $1.2 million, a result of gambling on their golf matches. Yeah, Richard Eskinas, we met from a third party. You know, I'm actually playing golf with people all the time now. And if they want to gamble, we gamble. The character of those individuals, I find out later what kind of people I was playing with. I learned that lesson. But the act of gambling, I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, right away went right to the most deepest, darkest kind of side of it, that he's, is he throwing games? Has it gone beyond golf? Uh, never has, never has. Michael and I were competitive and gambling on the golf course. We played cards. You know, I, I was in many of the card games but uh, never anything else. I never bet on games. I only bet on myself, you know, and that was golf. Uh, do I like to play blackjack? Yeah, I like playing blackjack. There's no laws with that. And the league did call me in. They asked questions about it, you know, and I told them exactly what was happening. Michael was betting on his golf game 
larger numbers than you or I might bet if we played golf together. But we, you know, given Michael's earnings and the like, we just never, it never reached epic crisis levels in my view. I understand that people would see and hear about amounts of money like that and go, wow, that's a lot of money. What I used to always say to people is that for Michael Jordan, $10,000 is like you gambling $10. He's got it. He's good for it. You know, you don't have to worry about it. The thought has occurred that you aren't really gambling with money. You're gambling with your reputation. Gambling with your good name. What would they consider my good name? The purest of all pure? The person that doesn't make mistakes? It wasn't all part of this carefully cultivated image that he had had of being the best basketball player in the world that everyone wanted to be like. Do you think you have a gambling problem at all? No, because I can stop gambling. I have a competition problem, a competitive problem. It didn't affect his endorsements. It didn't affect him monetarily. It didn't really affect his popularity. But the damage was to his reputation. And the price to pay was how tedious this all became for Michael to have to answer these questions. When you're answering these questions over and over again and feeling you have to defend yourself, it's exhausting. Get him on the floor, man. One o'clock. You guys can start up. He was really starting to grate against the media onslaught. Michael becomes irate and refuses to talk to the media. The curtain of silence started to come down. He wanted no part of it. Let someone like his dad have to answer these questions for him. I stopped talking. My father said, let me let me handle this. I said, that you don't have to. He said, nah. nah. He wanted to. He has given the best of him. He has sacrificed to try to, to uh, satisfy everybody. And after doing all of that, people still find a way of knocking him. And he's saying, damn, how much is enough? Around that time, and I remember Magic Johnson saying, you guys are going to drive him out of this game if you keep this up because he's tired of it. He's tired of you guys picking on him. People build you up to tear you down. And it happens in sports all the time. If, if a team wins too much, you want them to lose. So the thoughts there uh, from that documentary. The last voice you heard was Ahmad Rashad. Ahmad Rashad will be on this program in 90 minutes at 9 o'clock. He'll be on here talking about The Last Dance. Look forward to our conversation with him returning to Under the Hood. Look forward to hearing from Ahmad, the iconic um, broadcaster who's on Inside Stuff and was around the NBA for such a long time and part of this documentary, The Last Dance. So I look forward to our conversation with Ahmad Rashad coming up at 9 o'clock. Uh, more of your phone calls, 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone number. Is there a difference between a sports hero and a role model to you when it comes to sports? Open phone lines for you, as always. Glad to, glad to take your phone calls. Coming up next, we'll get your calls in, and we'll talk about the Bears. What executives are saying about the Bears currently in 2020? And some really strong commentary last night on the show regarding the Bears and the direction that they're going. We'll get to that coming up next as you're listening to Under the Hood. 
This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. I live in top of hip-hop. This is hip-hop of the day. I get props to hip-hop, so hip-hop hooray. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Interesting. Some... Um, Thoughts about the Chicago Bears. You know, the schedule, by the way, for the NFL comes out Thursday. We will be on live talking to you about the schedule when it comes out. I will have my pencil ready for the win-loss, win-loss, because that's always cool. Um, so we'll do that on Thursday's show from 7 to 10 right here on ESPN 1000. The schedule comes out for the NFL. Tell you what, this NFL... <laughs> they're going to just be striding, just strutting right through the fall and just going to be like, okay... You, you ready for us? Let's start football. And like they had the draft, uh, they had free agency, and while the NBA and Major League Baseball tries to figure out what they want to do, same thing with the National Hockey League, the NFL just and just with this Conor McGregor walk that 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 strut right down into the fall, they'll be ready for for, for football when it starts. It's it's an interesting time from a sports standpoint for the NFL. So when it comes to the Bears. Earl Bennett was on the show last night, former Bears wide receiver uh, from part of that uh, pro player podcast that he's on. Uh, he's very opinionated, very strong. When he comes on, he, he he doesn't shortcut you. He gives you his full opinion unvarnished on the program, and I enjoy that hearing from Earl. So I asked him a couple of questions about the Bears because we hadn't spoken since the draft. And so I asked Earl Bennett, I said, what do you think Mitch Trubisky's mindset is now, knowing that he did not get the fifth-year option and that he has a backup and a good one behind him uh, on the depth chart? I mean, we saw the same thing happen with Kyle Fuller, how they didn't pick up his you know, fifth-year option, but they wanted him to come out and prove that he can consistently go out, compete, and play at a high level each and every weekend, and they ended up rewarding him with a huge contract after the Packers tried to sign him. So they're kind of using a a little uh, reverse psychology on Mitch right now. You know, they're really trying to get him to say, hey, this is my contract year. I need to go out and prove it. There's no more years left on my contract. And so it's up to me to go out and to prove to this franchise that I do belong. But in the back of his mind, there has to be a little doubt about his future with the Chicago Bears because they did pick up his option. If I'm Mitch, I'm sitting there trying to figure out how do I get better, what player I need to work out with, what trainer, my diet, some things I need to work on with staying healthy for my shoulder. I mean, there's a lot of things that he can do to get better during this time. And if he wanted to continue to be the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears, he definitely has to come out and prove it. Starting in training camp, make that transition towards the season, and he just got to continue it throughout the season. Oh, yeah. There's, there's no doubt. He has to come in with a ruthless aggression, with his eyes open, knowing uh, that – he could start off the season as the starting quarterback, but realizing that he's just uh, a pick or just more ineptitude offensively away from having Nick Foles as a starter for the rest of the season. It's just like that. That's how fleeting it is in the NFL. Cause we, you don't have time to wait. We had a caller last night talking about this. A caller called in and said, you know, the difference between say even 10 years ago and now is, is that you don't have 
five, six years to wait for a quarterback to develop. You know, you need to know in three years or less whether or not this quarterback that you have in place is the is the guy. Um, it was almost like at times the Bears were treading water with Jay Cutler. And there's so many people that are just negative on Cutler, and, and rightfully so, because you did not see the production out of that position for someone that comes over via trade. You think that they would work out, and it didn't work out on a regular basis for Jay Cutler. Same thing here to Mitch Trubisky. And th- I mean, there's no way that Trubisky was going to get that option exercised because he hadn't earned it. And so now here we are. Trubisky is going to try to fight not only to keep his job, but to be able to show his wares to either the Bears or some other team that he can can start again in 2021, 2022. Who knows? But I, you know, Earl was good. You can go back to the archives of the ESPN Chicago app and check out Under the Hood and find that interview. It was uh, really interesting, some things that Earl was talking about. Um, We'll have more of a a more broad perspective on what's going on with Mitch Trubisky now uh, with two guys that knows their football. I mean, you talk about Mike Florio from Pro um, uh, and, uh, and Chris Sims, those two. They know their football when it comes to um, determining the the good and bad of this National Football League. So let's go to Mike Florio. Pro Football Weekly? No, that doesn't sound right, Sean. Pro Football Talk, right? That's it. Pro Football Talk. Those two, because they have a TV show and they are online. So Chris Sims and Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk talking about uh, declining Mitch's option. The best case scenario for the Bears really would be to have between the presence of Nick Foles and the decision not to pick up the fifth-year option for Trubisky be that thing that really wakes him up. And to have Trubisky win the starting job over Nick Foles. Nick Foles would be one hell of a great teammate, one great backup, a great insurance policy in the event Trubisky got injured. And then Trubisky has a surprisingly good year. Good problem to have if you're the Bears that you don't have the guy under the fifth-year option for 2021. I mean, look, the worst-case scenario would be having to use the franchise tag on him next year, and I don't think he's going to play so well that that would be in play. But, you know, sometimes you can wake a guy up by not using the fifth-year option. Remember when the Buccaneers had Doug Martin under contract and didn't pick up his fifth-year option, and he had a great contract year, and they had to sign him to a much larger money deal, Chris? That can happen. And you know what? Good problem to have. If this is the thing that finally gets the guy to be the guy that we thought he was going to be, so be it. Yeah. The big thing is, you know, again, this is a team that went 12-4 and with him just two years ago. What if he goes 12-4 and again, right? And, you know, doesn't play like one of the top five quarterbacks in football, but plays good football, you know, to like what you're saying. And all of a sudden you go, oh, okay, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to just ship him? you know, down the river and go, oh, we're going to get somebody else new. You know, listen, I feel bad for Mitchell Trubisky in a lot of ways. You know, one, his rookie year, he got part of a, a, a Chicago Bears team at that point that they, you know, did, did him an injustice with the talent they had around him. I mean, Mike, they were starting games that year, his rookie year, with Tariq Cohen as, Cohen as one of their starting receivers. Not running back, not third down running back, they would come out and play two running backs, one tight end, and two receivers, and the roster failed Mitchell Trubisky to such a such a drastic point that they had to make Tariq Cohn one of the starting receivers. You know, then year two, he gets with Matt Nagy, things go well. Year three, all right, yeah, the team had some issues last year. The offense stunk. It fell apart. It never changed from the year, and Trubisky didn't play well. So uh, I, I do feel bad for him. 
I do, and I think he gets a lot of crap because of where a team drafted him. He didn't ask to be drafted before Mahomes and Watson, uh, but I certainly understand the Bears' decision here. So from Pro Football Talks, um, interesting perspective there um, from Mike Florio and Chris Sims as you listen to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Sean, listen to this. Tell me if this makes sense. This is, goes into – this is before last season, right? Read this from Pro Football Focus. There's a disconnect between Trubisky's uh, stat output and his throw-by-throw performance last season, and it's a big year in his development. This is before the season started, right? Right. He had impressive moments as a rookie and a few top-notch performances last year, though his 63.6 overall grade ranked just 29th in the league despite ranking 17th in passer rating during the regular season. Trubisky went from one of the worst play-calling, playmaker uh, situations to one of the best and that was a big reason for his, his statistical success. Among the positives, Trubisky ranked 11th in big-time throw percentage, and his legs were a weapon as he finished with the top rushing grade among quarterbacks, 88.2. In order to take the next step, Trubisky must improve his accuracy at 10-plus yards down the field and lower his percentage of uncatchable passes that ranked 31st out of 35 qualifiers. It goes on, but it just... This is before the season started, where... You're 12 and four, and there are still questions about Trubisky. Even after the 12 and four season, people are wondering, okay, can he be able to improve? Because you know the defense right. really carried the way, right? Absolutely. But how about how about that perspective though from Pro Football Focus? That's the Collinsworth uh, website where they saw even then after the, a winning season, yeah, Trubisky still got a lot to work on. The incremental change that most fans would probably just take forget becoming one of the top 10 quarterbacks or living up to the promise of the number two pick. Incremental improvement from Mitch Trubisky. How many games would it be worth to the Chicago Bears with that defense you talked about? Would it be worth two games, mm-hmm. four games? Did it go back to being a 12-win team? Can they get up to being a 14-win team in a division where you said, we've said it, you've said it consistently right here under the hood. They've become the nail to the Packers and the Vikings in this division, mm-hmm. and they're the hammers. Think uh, you? I'll use. I'm not even looking at the schedule. I'm, I'm just remembering games that aggravated me. So the Raider game in the UK and the Ram game. Say, for instance, you're able to do what you're supposed to do and actually run an offense. That's that's good. First of all, Trubisky got to be healthy. Of course, that Raider game. But the point is, is that if Trubisky's out there and he's giving you what you need offensively, now you're plus two in the win column. Now. You know, ten and six. Where does that get you? I got to look back at the, at the standings, but at least you could say, okay, those two games the Bears were handled by the offense and the defense did their job. But when you underwhelm and underachieve, and just a couple of those games last year, you get what you deserve. Yeah, and on you know? top of that, you talked about how great he is as a running quarterback. But unlike other great running quarterbacks, their running does not further emphasize a really good running game. Yeah. Well, so right. you look at Lamar Jackson, the Ravens running game was good. You add him to the mix, it becomes great. If he had a running game to where his running could emphasize that running game mm-hmm. and make the Bears running game even better, you probably would see much better difference with the Bears offense. 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone number. Is Mark from Lake Forest with us? I've been waiting for his call. Mark is on ESPN 1000 with Jonathan Hood. Hello, Mark. 
Hey, Hoodie, glad you're uh, safe and healthy. Um, yeah, same I, to you. I, I, think, I think all this chat around MJ is really silly, and I'm going to give you an example. Uh, vices actually have the ability to make somebody more relatable uh, than not. I'm going to – I'll give you some, like, just bullet point tight examples. Uh, the first thing, um, as long as you don't put someone in harm's way, you don't do something illegal, and you deliver at the end of the day – uh, Joe Public might look at that and go, wow, you know, so things aren't all that crazy. You know, my, my dad, I, I'm the youngest of nine kids. My dad was a factory worker. Mm-hmm. His vice was going to estate sales auctions, you know, buying stuff that he thought was going to increase in value, which is basically like gambling. But he was a good man. And I can promise you that no one would not have wished they weren't him. So, does, does he wish maybe he, like, does he have some regrets and wish he could have done? Like, sure, everybody does. But I actually think the opposite, that seeing an athlete that is more relatable to me, that is able to, you know, have modest imperfections, but still be able to, to post up and to do what they need to do. Uh, if anything, I, I think that's more positive than it is creating some sort of negative environment around around anything he did. And I just think it's just crazy that some of these people are saying, well, you know, he's not living up to be a role model. If I grew up to be my father and I, God hoping I do, I would have zero regrets in this world. The most hard, the most difficult thing can be trying to live up to your last name. Is is it not? I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult because you've seen people in your own home that can be considered a role model. And you're just like, man, if I could just be just a, a fraction of what he or she was, then I, I think I've made it. Right. Absolutely. And you know what? My, my father, you know, you can only imagine growing up with nine mouths to feed and, and going to a factory every day. I can't imagine that he woke up every morning at 5.30 in the morning and found out of bed and said, well, I can't wait to just go tackle this today. You know, there were probably days when he just said, man, like, just if I could just catch a break. But at the end of the day, he, he persevered through that. And if somebody wants to sit here and tell me that, you know, some guy who goes to Atlantic City to, to, to clear his mind or whatever, I've had the chance to meet MJ several times. I live up in the North Shore and golf and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, you need to be a little edgy, but that's what makes Michael Jordan Michael Jordan. My dad, raising nine kids, used to lose his temper every once in a while, uh, as you can imagine. But that's what made him who he was. I love him, and I, I, I could only aspire to be like him. And I hope people can see the relatability and the fact that MJ, well, not being always perfect in, in someone's eyes, at the end of the day, was what this world far better than than he found it. Mark, great call. Thanks so much for checking in as you're listening to Under the Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Is the NBA returning? We're going to talk to our buddy Andre Snellings from ESPN coming up in a little bit right here on ESPN 1000. So I'm going to hear some sound I have not heard yet. So, Sean, I see on my screen here Craig Hodges was on uh, The Odd Couple 
uh, on Fox Sports Radio, Thursday Fox Sports Radio, with uh, my buddy Chris Broussard and Rob Parker. They do a hell of a show. Um, and so Craig Hodges was on, good old number 14, the former Chicago Bull, part of those um, first championship teams with the Chicago Bulls. I'd mentioned Craig last night in regard, talking about um, – you know, blackballing in the NBA. It happened to Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, um, Chris Jackson, uh, when he was with Denver because of his religious beliefs, and Craig Hodges wearing a dashiki um, to the White House, giving his thoughts on how he looked at the world and him representing um, his blackness and, and being able to explore things that people were not comfortable with. And so Craig Hodges on The Odd Odd Couple says he's disappointed with some of Michael Jordan's comments. Listen. One of the things is players, we we call this a fraternity. So I'm watching, okay, the first episode, I was upset about the cocaine circus. That bothered Mm -hmm. me because I'm thinking about the brothers who are on that picture with you who have to explain to their family members that they're getting ready to watch this Michael Jordan great documentary event. And they know that you're on the king hunt, and now you got to explain that to a 12-year-old boy. I, some mm. Scotty Pippen part. Scotty was selfish. Come on, man. Come on. Mm. And then last night, then last night, then I tried. Last night with Horace, that hurt my, that hurt me. And I'm letting MJ know, dude, man, that ain't right, dude. Not that one. The other things, okay, but Horace, Horace didn't deserve. Horace didn't deserve to take the fall for Jordan rules. Now, MJ may know something else. And if you know Horace wrote it, tell us how Horace did it, for my sake. Because I'm your teammate, brother, just like they are. And I'm kind of salty about how everybody got interviewed but me. Uh, I agree. Oh, on the last part, uh, Craig Hodges should have been part of that documentary, but he was not. So real quick, Sean, so you heard that. I, that's the first time I've heard Craig talk about this on the record, right? So Absolutely, first, yeah. So when you when you played it, it's the first time I heard it. So let me, my immediate reaction is, let me go fast forward to the Horace Grant piece. So you asked me before the show, do you believe, did I believe that Horace Grant was an was a trick, was a narc, um, telling stories to Sam Smith about that book? Of course, I will never know, but I I kind of believe not. I'm leaning not just. Knowing Horace somewhat and how he was not enamored with Reinsdorf and Krause either. That's not part of the documentary because it's not a Horace Grant documentary. But you remember you remember the blue flu comment from Reinsdorf? Yeah. Do you recall this where he was talking about Horace Grant in a in, in an open setting, by the way, in, a, in a, a press conference? I need to find this on YouTube somewhere so I can play it. But I don't think there was a great relationship between, um, between Horace Grant and Krause and Reinsdorf. And to to suggest that Horace had something to do with that book, you I think in the back of your mind you're probably thinking, well, how come he didn't stay with the team? Then why did he immediately go to Orlando? Well, he had to because he had to get paid, right? He had to get paid, and then the angst in that season, that third championship where they beat the Phoenix Suns, you have to remember the contract issue, what you just talked about. And then the low-hanging fruit was always there was something with Horace where he felt like he was underappreciated when it came to Michael Jordan. That's a narrative that was always put out there. So all of this combined made for great, great gumbo for maybe Mike to feel like, man, who on this team could sell me out? And Horace Grant might just be the low-hanging fruit. We don't know if Michael Jordan does have proof, if he has spoken to Sam Smith 
off the record and found out some things. And I don't think Sam Smith would even divulge, you know, his sources like that. But it just goes back to what I think at that point in time, the way things were and the temperature of the team and the temperature of the situation with surrounding Horace Grant. He was the low hanging fruit for the cause of all those statements in the Jordan rules. Hmm. You know, there's other players in that roster. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I'm just saying. like Absolutely. There's Horace? one in particular that uh, kind of stepped out of a position to move up in the organization and move oh. out of the way that I'm like, uh, I can see. Oh, no. I, I'm just, just my opinion. <laughs> just my opinion. No facts. Just my opinion. Sounds familiar to some other things that have happened uh-huh. more recently. Uh-huh. I'll leave it at that. Well, we know that Mark Eversley's the new GM, right? Okay. We, we, so coming up next. <laughs> Wait just a second. Uh, he had some big jump shots, though, for the Bulls. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Beloved. Uh, and okay. as bad as he played in those finals, Horace Grant made the two clutch plays at the end yes. with the pass and the block. People forget about the block on Kevin Johnson at the end of that game. That didn't even sound. It doesn't sound like Horace Grant was saying anything. But I just, it's interesting that Craig pointed that out. He wasn't happy with that and uh, wasn't happy with the co- the um, cocaine circus thing at all. Uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny though. Yeah, because at first I didn't think watching the clip, I didn't think Mike would snitch, and he eventually ended up. And the more we watch, it seems like every episode somebody's getting snitched on. It's fine, it, it, uh, but it's you know because uh, what what so hold on so <laughs> is Dave Corzine at the crib saying no he's not talking about me no I guess they'll do is deny it <laughs> like was Edis Watley saying no 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 Mike's not talking about me but it's funny that's all you got to say seriously and uh, certain things let's be honest at that point in time because it definitely wasn't the great basketball that the Bulls were playing. I, I think around the city, people pretty much knew what yeah. was going on with that team. Yeah, so, I mean, I understand why he's he doesn't think that that's a good idea and how there's young people watching, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's them. I mean, <laughs> when you got players taking exits off of uh, 290, not 294, but the, uh, the Ike, <laughs> as they go out to the West Burbs, we well, already right. know right. what so the it, deal is. It's just kind of funny. Right. It's like, I, Craig, Craig, not happy with that comment. Well, you know, you know, I, I don't, I don't think you know, you know David Greenwood is going to be like, you know, cornered by his family and say, I think he was talking about me or Rod Higgins. I don't think that that was going to be the case. It's <laughs> kind of funny though. <laughs> the traveling cocaine circus of the uh, early Bulls. All right, in two minutes we will uh, talk about whether or not the NBA will be opening anytime soon with Andre Snellings. That's next on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.